Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. This week, I'm welcoming Mr. Michael Warren to tell us all about what's going on at the White House this week. Michael, how are you doing? I'm great, Eric. How are you? Fine, thank you. So it's been a busy week at the White House, lots of doings. What's been your biggest takeaway from the week? This, Eric, is a White House and, and an administration in flux. Uh, th- it's a uh, it's an administration that's approaching its first 100 days. This, this is, by the way, this is where I have to make a um, Back to the Future joke, yes. which is what's the capacity, the capacity. for the for flux? <laughs> uh, well, they're not going, uh, what was it, 88 miles per hour. <laughs> uh, let's just say that. They're sort of uh, uh, can't figure out what gear to get in. They're going backward, all these things. Um this we're approaching the first 100 days at the end of April, which is this arbitrary deadline. I think really since what the Franklin Roosevelt administration, this idea that you have to accomplish a certain number of things in the first. It's, it's the kind days. of thing that journalists like. Right. They get to put a big headline. I think we've been guilty of that ourselves. Well, I write here. every single day, every weekday, <laughs> uh, first 100 you, days. You're guilty. Oh, I, but, I, I wear that uh, for the rest of my life. Eric. But <laughs> but you you ought not, as an administration, find yourself constrained by the conventions of journalism and the way we like to brand things, uh, particularly uh, the uh, Trump administration. Right? They're supposed to be blowing up all of those political conventions. Turns out, however, that uh, when it comes to things like media conventions, first hundred days, right? <laughs> Trump is actually very conventional in that way. Um, he sort of pays attention to those things. There's a there's literally a show on the Fox News Channel called "The First One Hundred Days." Um, so this is something that he's he and therefore the rest of the administration, certainly the White House, is very conscious of. There are a number of goals that uh, that the Trump administration. Uh, is supposed to have met in the first 100 days. They're not going to meet them. Certain things about immigration, infrastructure, spending, all these sorts of things, uh, uh, they're not going to make them. And, and in fact, it's a moment, and, and we're seeing this play out this in this past week, it's a moment when the, the power centers, the, the positions on policy are shifting within the White House. Um, and yeah, the, the big news on that right. being the um, New York Post piece during the middle of the week in which Donald Trump talked about Steve Bannon, his chief strategist, as though he were a non-person. Right. <laughs> Some guy that he just met. Uh, yeah, I like Steve. Steve's an OK guy. Yeah, look, he wasn't there. I mean, this is, these are, I'm paraphrasing exactly what the president said here. He said, uh, you know, he wasn't really there until the end of the campaign. He really didn't have anything to do with uh, with with my winning. Um, yeah, this is this is interesting because Steve Bannon, the former chairman of Breitbart, uh, the the self-proclaimed economic nationalist uh, who who I think, particularly on the issues of immigration and trade and some of those broad immig- uh, broad economic issues, is more simpatico with President Trump than just about anybody. And yet here he is sort of being cast to the side. Um, it's a bit of a sort of a Washington parlor game. Every morning, everybody wakes up or every evening before they go to bed. Uh, is this the day? Is this the moment when Steve Bannon resigns or is fired or is reduced in his role as a chief strategist? Um, but of course, this is President Trump. So we don't know what's actually going to happen. But this was a notable moment, I think. And what's part, partly notable about Steve Bannon is what it tells you about the vulnerabilities of, of 
the Trump administration, which is part of the storyline, is that Trump was supposedly upset at news coverage that uh, that that put forward Bannon as the manipulator in chief, as the as the person who was the puppeteer pulling Donald Trump's strings, and Trump reportedly did not like that. What's your sense? Is that is that an, were were those reports accurate? Right. Uh, you got to add here the Saturday Night Live portrayal of Steve Bannon as the Grim, Grim Reaper, Reaper, who also sits at the desk uh, while Alec Baldwin's Donald Trump sits at the tiny little desk in the Oval Office to play with his toys. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 funny and kind of silly, but Donald Trump pays attention to that stuff. Um, right. But that, doesn't that suggest a vulnerability yes. by Donald Trump to the very media that he disdains? Of course. That the way the media portrays things moves how he acts. Absolutely. I mean, this is a man who uh, grew up and grew uh, his whole persona, his whole reputation around the New York media uh, uh, market, which includes the tabloids, includes Saturday Night Live and and, uh, NBC and the New York Times, the failing New York Times, of course. The the, the question (laughs) here, Eric, is what irks the president about about this particular role that Steve Bannon has been cast in by the media. Is it, it does he believe that ultimately this, that Steve Bannon is not, and, and Bannonism is not serving him well? You look, can look at things like the uh, aborted travel ban that they had to sort of uh, re, refigure out, um, uh, many of the other immigration um, pushes that all have Bannon's fingerprints on him or, or those in the administration who subscribe to Bannonism. Um, does does the president view those policy failures or the the problems with those policy pushes uh, as as ultimately a problem, or is it something a little more superficial? Is it simply the fact that people are going around saying uh, the real political brains of the operation is Steve Bannon, and that may be what we see from this New York Post interview, which is uh, Donald Trump sort of taking that back, taking that away from Steve Bannon saying, look, uh, kind of in an Obama-like way, I'm my best uh, political strategist here. Uh, I understand better than anybody, even better than Steve Bannon, uh, what forces are here. Um, That's, I think, something that remains to be seen uh, and and will be determined by what happens to Steve Bannon next. Does he stay at the White House? Does he feel like he needs to leave or is he fired? Um, and, and then what does he do after that, if that if that is the case? Right. He's a dangerous guy to have outside looking in. Maybe he keep, Trump keeps him around as a way to keep him on a leash. Well, dangerous to who? I think this is an important question here, because um, if you are of the supposedly rising, I think it's true, rising power center around Jared Kushner, uh, Ivanka Trump's husband, and the uh, and, and the son-in-law, obviously, of Donald Trump, um, then then yes, right. This is this this is a problem for you and for your attempt to influence the president. If you've got Steve Bannon, maybe not the most you know, the best known person in American politics, but somebody who can sort of marshal the natural Trump uh, base, the natural Trump constituency uh, around Breitbart and the sort of the internet uh, uh, economic nationalist right. Um, yeah, then it becomes dangerous. On the other hand, you could say uh, these are the people who really give Donald Trump the political energy uh, to get the things he wants to get done. Um, and maybe somebody from the outside pushing that rather than on the inside. 
is is more valuable for Trump if that's your perspective. I tend to think that Bannon would be uh, rather Trump in his own interest would be better served keeping Bannon in the White House. And obviously Bannon would be better served by remaining in the White House. Uh, there's just so much you can do to influence the president uh, from the inside the White House rather than outside unless you're on MSNBC and Morning Joe, uh, <laughs> which I don't think Bannon's going to be doing that uh, much on, from the outside. The, the quote in the uh, Washington Post this week from Newt Gingrich was that um, that Bannon was a pirate and <laughs> that um, that pirates can be very effective, but that the White House is rather more like the U.S. Navy in corporate and structure, and the Navy is hard on pirates. That is probably true. It's a great it's a great quote and it's sort of a great analogy. Um that's probably true, although this is a different White House than most. Um, I, I guess what I mentioned uh, at the top here that it's a White House in flux. One of the directions that it appears to be going in uh, is 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 more toward that uh, that more corporate structure. Right, and and this is an, an interesting thing for a White House that has made such a big deal about being anti-elite, anti-establishment, blowing up all the conventions. The few things they've had that have been successes have been the things that look most like normal White House activity. So, for example, the nomination and confirmation of Neil Gorsuch um, to the Supreme Court was sort of classic White House structural activity in action. Right. And uh, and then I think you see in the strikes on on Syria uh, going back a week um, that you see Trump marshalling the advice and counsel of the sort of institution uh, of the White House, the institutional uh, advisors within the White House, as opposed to doing things on the fly with the bomb throwers. Right. Um, and, and, and frankly, the bomb throwers, uh, so to speak. Uh, would would likely not have been for actually the serious strike at all. So even the fact of it occurring, uh, that strike against Assad, suggests uh, what you just described, which is a reliance on the kind of institutional national security infrastructure, the national security advisor, the Department of Defense, um, who, if you look back at that at that strike, seem to have it all figured out long beforehand. I think this is an interesting shift, and we shouldn't oversell it. Uh, though we, we this is oh, a, come on let's oversell <laughs> it let's get out of our skis on this right declare <laughs> that it is a new era in the trump administration <laughs> but the, the the truth is that we don't know because this is a mercurial president in a mercurial uh white house uh, say mercurial three I, times I know, fast it's like murderer here uh it, it's uh it's a it's it's difficult to predict where the president's going to go he's so governed by events he's so governed by emotions um it, but it's important also to remember this, Eric, which is for as much as Donald Trump's persona and I think the reality of him is is as a uh, as a, a blower up of the uh, a bombing of the establishment, a bomber of the establishment and conventional wisdom and thinking. There's another side to him as well, which which respects uh the you know it respects CEOs, for instance. looks at looks at sort of success in business uh, as a positive. Um, this is, I think, where he got a lot of support from Republicans in the election who might otherwise have been opposed to him. The sort of Romney-style Republicans who thought, 
yeah, he says all these crazy things. He doesn't really seem like a president, but I like that he relies. Rom- Romney style, but not Romney himself, of Ex- course. Oh, obviously not. This is sort of the uh, the invert, like the the upside down version of, of of Mitt Romney. This sort of reliance. You look at you know you look at some of uh, the advisors who I think are on the rise in the White House. Gary Cohn, the former COO of Goldman Sachs, uh, not exactly. <laughs> The uh, the polar opposite of an economic nationalist. Yeah, and it doesn't get much more establishment than right. Goldman Sachs. Right, but uh, this is somebody who uh, Jared Kushner highly recommended to uh, Donald Trump, said, you've got to bring this guy in, um, and, and I think appealed to the other side of Trump, which is, this guy's a success. Look at him. Look at all the success he's uh, he's had in his life, in his business, um, and there's a, a sort of respect for professionalism. And I think what you're seeing here is sort of Donald Trump's uh, two sides, or maybe it's more than two sides, kind of hashing all this stuff out in real time. So so his sort of he's sort of fallen out of love with the uh, establishment, uh, uh, you know, setting on fire of the establishment and conventional wisdom uh, because things really weren't going that well. And people on Morning Joe were saying, you've got to get rid of Steve Bannon. You've got to figure this out. You've got to bring some professionals in there. And, and so now he's sort of uh, moving to the other uh, the other side. But if he starts to get pressure and, and, and he's already starting to hear this, that uh, he's abandoning who he really said he was going to be in the campaign. You could see a slingshot right back to uh, the Trump that uh, we all have known for the you know past 80 days or so. Although I think it's really interesting just the, the way in which you're having competing advisors and the different incentives that are built in for those advisors. If you look at Steve Bannon, this is his one shot to be really influential right. and to blow things up in the way he wants to blow things up. Um, Jared Kushner, on the other hand, he's he's got a much longer time horizon. He's a young guy who is an influential uh, developer. Right. Um, and the Trump administration failing is really going to do huge damage to Kushner over the long, really perhaps over a lifetime, right. which gives him a whole se- separate set of incentives about what he will want to advise his father-in-law to do. That's right. I think I think you hit the nail on the head on that, Eric, and and uh, and and that is true. Here's the big here's the big issue, or, or the sort of um, uh, the, the the missing part of all of this, which is. Um, that is all true, but there's a difference between Jared Kushner's relationship with the president and Steve Bannon or really anybody else, writes previous, uh, even Vice President Pence, um, which is uh, there's always the risk that you fall out of the president's favor. Jared Kushner doesn't have that risk. Uh, he is he is family. He is literally family to the president. Um, and so, um, you know, the the, the idea he, he presents a, a way in which other people can easily fall out of favor with the that's with right. the president by falling out of favor with his son in law. That's oh that's absolutely right. And and, and the other thing is that Kushner um, I think has the ability to um, more so than anybody else to sort of assert his view of where this should go in a much in a much more um, uh, assertive and aggressive way. Um, he can speak to the president in the way nobody else feels that they can or or, or really can. Um, and, so he's really he's really at this point seems to be in the driver's seat for those incentive reasons that you mentioned 
and for the, the, the unique nature of his relationship with, with the, the principal. Jared Kushner, his wife, Ivanka Trump, have to feel more acutely than anyone else what the effect on the long-term Trump brand is of the Trump presidency. It has not bolstered the brand. If anything, it has degraded the value of things such as Ivanka's own brand. And so if you are Ivanka Trump, you have a lot longer that you're going to have to live with the brand if that brand is termed toxic than somebody like Steve Bannon, who if the Trump brand turns toxic, he moves on to whatever next thing he wants to do. Right. The The only other thing I can think of with this is um, uh, if you're Steve Bannon, Donald Trump is really your only chance to uh, affect cha- change in the way that you want to. I mean, what other Republican or political figure uh, is is it's going to uh, get near exactly? I mean, Steve who, Bannon who, at this well, point, or or who even embodies the view of economic nationalism that that Trump does? I mean, Trump is, I think, we are realizing is such a singular figure within the Republican Party, within American politics right now. Could somebody else step into the breach, um, you know, somewhere down the road? Probably. Uh, but but Donald Trump has changed things. Uh, and, and, and now um, uh, economic nationalism uh, has, has, has been branded by Trump. And so if you're Steve Bannon, you have to be thinking, um, if, if this is where, if, 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 if this is what I want to, uh, if this is how I want to influence uh, American politics and and the sort of American experiment, Trump may be my only chance, isn't it? it aren't I better off uh, trying with this horse, even a horse who has uh, lost confidence in me, than trying to wait out and and find somebody else, find another hero? I don't know, run against him in the twenty twenty primary or run run uh, for president somewhere down the road. Uh, Trump is kind of that moment and and the opportunity, um, so he's got he's got a, a, a bit of um, uh, figuring out to do as well. I think about about the future of of his own brand and the sort of the broader sense of economic nationalistic uh, uh, politics. Let's talk briefly about Russia. Yes, um, the other main news of the, of the week, and if if has been um, conspiratorially alleged. Uh, the Russians were trying to put Donald Trump in the White House, then it would suggest that um, that Vladimir Putin is less of a strategist than uh, than he might otherwise be thought to be. Well, I think, uh, and I've seen this sort of the, the, the cooling off of the last week of U.S.-Russia relations. The, I mean, you've really seen some of the Russian propaganda and, and state-run media outlets just excoriate Trump over over the whole serious strike and, and everything else, um, I don't think that that uh, that proves that there was no uh, favor uh, that that Trump was not favored by the the Putin regime. It just shows you that Putin doesn't know everything, <laughs> and 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 wasn't able necessarily to predict um, that uh, because I do believe that Putin would have preferred and did prefer Trump to Hillary Clinton for a number of reasons that don't even make sense in our own political paradigm. Um, but that he's uh, misunderstood Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that that is, that is true. Um, it's just a fact that Vladimir Putin and the Russian regime has shifted remarkably 
on their on their thinking on on Trump. Um, maybe they think he's captured by the American foreign policy establishment. It's not really his fault or whatever. But the the, the truth is is that this is a cooling period. Um, Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, was in Moscow uh, earlier this week uh, and said said as much after meeting with Sergey Lavrov, the foreign minister in 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 Russia. Um, this is the lowest point, uh, a very low point for U.S. Russian relations. Um, I mean, it may not be a new Cold War, but a cool war. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a chilly war. It'll sort of. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I think what's what's interesting about this is um, is actually how conventional it is. I think the last three uh, American presidents have come in with this some idea that uh, they would have a different kind of relationship with Russia. Re- hit the reset button. Well, I don't. Where'd you come up with that, Eric? I've you know, never heard that phrase before. <laughs> right. Brilliant bit of policy thinking exactly. on my part. Exactly. Uh, that's mean, good. Could, that's good. The next, the next administration should use that. You one. know, you could show up with an actual physical button. Now, now you're thinking. Now you're talking. It's like a TV commercial. <laughs> uh, but look, this is. I mean, we laugh, but it's it's true. This is a belief, uh, and it's it's not necessarily a. Uh, an irrational one, right? That that the a new American administration can find some way to reset or um, uh, otherwise reorient the relationship with Russia. Um, the problem always is is that uh, Vladimir Putin, as long as he's in charge uh, in Moscow, presents a real problem and a real threat, uh, and 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 also views the United States and the West as a threat. It's sort of one of these. Uh, one of these intractable problems uh, that every effort to sort of reach out with uh, with an olive branch uh, uh, gets uh, swatted away at some point. What's remarkable here is how early and quickly it's happened with somebody who Moscow and Putin believed would be uh, more amenable than than certainly the Obama administration or, or certainly the the Bush administration. Um, it, it's it's interesting. It's happened this quickly. Uh, We'll have to see if it shifts back. You know, Donald Trump said in a press conference uh, earlier this week he would love it if we all got together and 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 got along nicely with Russia. But at this point, the administration feels, and I and I know this for a fact, uh, that uh, they simply cannot trust the Russian regime. The Russian regime is going around saying, uh, in in the days before the 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 strike, right after the chemical weapons attack, that. Um, that uh, well, the, the the attack even on back channels they were saying the attack uh, probably wasn't the Assad regime. In fact, it was probably one of these other uh, terrorist groups um, that had a cache of, of of chemical weapons. This was the Assad regime's uh, propaganda. When the Russians started telling U.S. officials this privately on back channels, that was a sign, uh, I think, to the administration that uh, these were people who could not be dealt with rationally who are lying to your face privately as well as publicly and and that i think more than just about anything has 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 been what's shaken up the relationship and so we see rex tillerson in moscow and at the same time donald trump meeting with the secretary general of nato (laughs) and talking about how nato is no longer obsolete obsolete. Um, i don't think that had to do with anything other than russia Maybe, but th- you're also seeing a shift on so many of these issues, and this is again the theme of the week for Donald Trump is a shift on 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 China, saying well, I'm no longer saying they're a uh, currency, a manipulator, currency man- yeah. manipulator. Um, uh, all these sort of shifts on things that uh, were major 
elements of Donald Trump's campaign message. NATO needs to pay their fair share. He's still saying that. Um, but but you're but also- yeah, when he came out and he said that Mexico doesn't need to pay for a wall. In right. fact, there doesn't need to be a wall. At- no, that didn't happen. Not yet. <laughs> We're waiting for that. Um, but look, I mean, th- there is a reality that hits you when you become president. You learn things. And this is not only true of Donald Trump. This is true of really every president. You learn things once you're in the job. You see the reality that you, uh, you're you often presented and pro- probably daily presented with uh, a bunch of really bad options. Uh, and you've got to pick the least worse of the bad options. Um, and I think that you are seeing a bit of an understanding when it comes uh, of that. When it comes to Trump, you're also kind of getting, I think, uh, he's he's being presented with information that he'd never thought about before, for instance, with NATO and really all the things that NATO does um, uh, that he's hearing really from the experts within the within the government. Now, you may say, oh, well, that's that's sort of the establishment, the shadow, uh, uh, the shadow government, sort of uh, the, the, the deep state sort of uh, exerting its influence on this guy who's going to blow it all up. Um, but I think it's a little more prosaic than that. This is there are uh, there are things you learn as the president, uh, new information and what we're seeing is a shift based on that new information. Does he pick up even newer information, uh, maybe from less reputable sources uh, as it goes along? Yes, I think that's that's likely. Uh, but I think what we're seeing from a lot of these shifts is um, the kind of natural maturation that happens when you go from being a candidate to being the president. Michael Warren, senior writer and White House correspondent for The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on The Confab. Thanks, Eric. That's it for The Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to The Confab every week. Just go to iTunes for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.